Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. A man or woman who does not plan long ahead will find trouble at his or her door. And that is by Confucius. So I'm doing one of my shorter episodes and I don't even have notes because I have so much experience in the topic of planning for successful wedding photography, step-by-step planning the day that I think I don't need my notes. Now, maybe I will and I'll regret it, but I'm having an okay hair moment this evening. And so I thought I'd just get going. Before I do, if you want to go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, you can set up an opportunity to chat with me. If you're wondering what coaching would be like, I'm happy to uh, give you a little quick conversation and see if a longer one might be a perfect fit. So feel free to reach out. No obligation. I just love to hear from people. And by the way, some of you have been acknowledging certain episodes you like and thanking me and my guests for the show. And that goes so far for me and my excitement about doing my next episode. So thank you for that. Okay. If you don't know my background, I was a wedding photographer for 12 years in the 80s and 90s. Yep, I I am that old now. I don't. I mean, I know how it happened, but <laughs> it is a little bit of a surprise. Anywho, over because I probably did 500 weddings or so, and I began to refine my process of how to prepare my couples and the wedding party so that I could get the best photographs in a timely and low stress sort of the the least stress possible. And if you've listened to my show, you know that I still believe the best thing we can do for our clients is to provide finished products for them. With a wedding, that would be at least a beautiful wedding album. It's always nice to have wall portraits. Uh, I love doing engagement sessions and having wall portraits that go on display and are the first shared piece of art in their home as a newlywed couple. So this is geared specifically towards producing images that will tell the story and that people will buy. When I am putting together a package, and now as a coach, I help my coaching clients that do weddings put together options for their brides and grooms. I always suggest that you put it together in a way where they could be satisfied with what they have um, without investing anything additional. But most people, they're are going to be wants and desires to add more photos to the book, to have gifts, parent books, different things like that. So that's always in my mind is what's a price point and 
an amount of images or a credit towards a book or some way to put together packages so that let's say someone invests for thousand dollars, they can easily spend another thousand to four thousand on up to finish the book and share and have art and so forth. So that being said, one of the ways that I'm able to make this all happen is by having a timeline that I create with my brides and grooms that allows for all the contingencies of things that could go wrong, lots of space to do the photography in a way that is not as stressful and adds actually to the enjoyment of the day. So what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, whenever possible, unless there's a big gap between the wedding and the reception, I encourage my wedding clients to have that first look, meet before in a pretty location, just the two of them, and have portraits done that are creative, that are beautiful, that have the environment or great lighting where we can really control and do the more posed images that honestly are the ones, even though people say, oh, I like candids, the ones they usually invest in are when the little details are nice and when they look happy and pretty and the light is good and and there's emotion in it and design and where the environment is beautiful. And that takes time. Now, I'm really happy that the first look thing has become popular. I think if I were still doing weddings, it would be easier to basically talk people into meeting. I like to meet three hours before, and I'll tell you why in a minute. To have that meeting, I used to have a a checklist and a whole thing that I would send home with my brides and grooms so that A, they begin to understand how nice that is and how much it actually supports them enjoying the day more and getting better photographs and having less stress and keeps from if they go home and somebody says, oh no, you can't see each other before the wedding, that they've got kind of an ammunition for that. So one of the first things I say, if I'm sitting down at a consultation and say, you know, in in uh, photographing your wedding, one of the things I highly recommend is that first you two get together, we have about a half an hour together, and then your wedding party joins us and we can do beautiful things and fun things, you can have a little pre-party, and then your parents and siblings join us and and we do those things. And then we have a nice little, like a 45 minute break where you can refresh. You can uh, have those hugs and talk to people, get, get yourself in gear uh, for the fact that now this is the moment you're getting married. A lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, I didn't want to only see him when I'm coming down the aisle. And my response to that is, first of all, when it's the moment and you are coming down that aisle, that is the moment you're getting married. And the emotion 
is there. And it is so special, even if you've just spent the last three hours hanging out together. Number two, can you tell I said this before? When you can meet in private and he gets to really look at you and see the whole dress and tell you what he's feeling without people looking on and you get to see him and you get to spend some quality time together and more time together on the wedding day. My couples have told me over and over and over again how grateful they are that they did it this way. I've never had somebody wish that they hadn't seen each other. And I, in the history of my career, I've had many brides and grooms say, gosh, we had no idea how chaotic it would be, how fast everything would go. And we wish we had done it that way. So another thing I like to say is, do you know where the tradition came from with the brides and grooms not seeing each other until they go down the aisle? And I was like, no. And it came from a time when weddings were arranged and they didn't want the bride and groom to see each other because one of them or both of them might run away if they saw who they were marrying. So back in the ages now, this maybe still goes on in countries where they have arranged marriages and people have no say and they don't meet until the wedding day. But how is that tradition something that is a wonderful tradition to carry on? So that's that's my little ammunition with that. And I remind them that uh, there are cultures such as Jewish weddings, where because of a biblical story of where, and sorry, I should look this up, but it's late. So I'll let you look it up, where a man worked for years so he could marry one daughter and they tricked him and this is when you could have plural marriages in the bible yes it's in the bible they tricked him and he ended up marrying the other sister and he had to work another i think seven years before he could have the bride of his dreams and so in in jewish weddings traditional ones they have a little ceremony where the bride and groom get together and he looks at her to make sure she's she's the right one. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so enough about that. I also explained to them how the difference, if you're having to do all the pictures after, it's rushed. There's usually uh, at the venue or the church ladies, you know, we, we got to get it done. We got to get it off the altar. People are busy. Um, somebody maybe has to go set something up. And, and having 90% of the posed pictures done beforehand relieves so much pressure. So much pressure, not just the afterwards, but even just getting up to the point of getting getting to the altar. Um, I usually have people... When 90% is done, then when the wedding is over, I've already um, communicated that the wedding party and the family are going to, you know, come down the aisle, 
follow the bride and groom around to the side, let the the church or the venue clear, and then come in, sit down if there's chairs, and then I work through a really quick after uh, session. So I get the bride and groom up with the whole big family on her side. We take that picture, then then just the parents, then I get the other set of parents up, and we do all six of them. Then, then the bride's parents can leave because I've already done some fun things beforehand. And we do the groom with his parents, then we put his whole family up there, then they can all go. And then we do, an if it's an altar or something like that, then we do the whole wedding party with the couples paired up that, you know, are... Um, of honors and best men and then I have them go away and I do if there's little kids I do the bride and groom with the kids and then they go and then I do some pretty things of the bride on the altar the groom on the altar the two of them together and that classic traditional bride and groom you know flowers dress everything uh in the setting and then we're done because we've done all these other combinations before and the other thing is light changes fast. And so when we can do sessions, sometimes we'll meet like here, we'll meet at Balboa Park or there's some other areas that do have nice light in the daytime. And then we'll go on to where the wedding is and do a few more things there. So it just really opens everything up. So. I hope light bulbs are going off and you're going, you know, this makes so much sense. And again, I used to do great candidates. When people sat down and ordered a book and paid for the images that were going in that book, the ones that sold were the ones that were a little more traditional and not traditional in a boring way. But, um, and, you know, definitely some storytelling and some candids mixed in there, but hours of photographing the bride getting dressed and the makeup and the brushes and, and all of those little set of things. When people are spending well for individual photographs or bundles of photographs, uh, they're not going to put in a lot of the ones that they'll enjoy, maybe as digitals, maybe they'll look at them once and never look at them again. Okay, so part B of this conversation is how I help the bride and groom plan the wedding. Sometimes I'm a little challenged when there is a wedding coordinator because they will do a schedule, like I, I do everything in my power to get the bride to put me in touch with the wedding coordinator. So together we can talk about the schedule and my needs that are there to serve the bride. It's not about me, me, me. I have to have it this way, but I want to have the day go really smoothly. So I make up a schedule with the bride and groom, but you know, let's be real. It's usually mostly the bride, but I love those couples that are, that do everything together, um, where we figure out when the flowers need to show up, the hair and makeup, how much time that's going to take. Uh, and then 
what time everybody needs to be where. Couple of things. If everything's going late, almost always it's because they underestimated the time it takes to get hair and makeup. So I always add oodles and oodles of time. Uh, if if hair and makeup says, oh yeah, I can get whatever it is she needs to do in an hour and a half, I add an hour to that from the time we need to start shooting. Flowers are also notoriously late. So if I'm going to start shooting, let's see, let's say at noon, I say the flowers need to be there at 1115. Because first of all, they need to be there. Second of all, when they get there, if they get there at noon, that means there's 20 minutes of finding people, pinning on boutonnieres, getting the bouquets to the brides. So we, if I, if it's noon, that's my real starting time. Everything has to be in place by noon. Does that make sense? The other thing, one of the ways that I handle the, oh, I don't want to start that early is I, my packages included a certain amount of time, but that time started when the wedding, what did I do? When the wedding started, when the wedding started, when the wedding ended, one of those. And they could basically have as much time as they need beforehand, not including that I'm not going to be there for an hour while they're getting their makeup done. And, you know, a lot of those prep things. But if we're starting at noon for a session and the wedding is at three, then maybe they've got a five hour uh, option that's going to be five hours from three o'clock. So three, four, five, six, seven. And that that gives them an incentive to get a lot of things done before. So they get more of my time for less money. Also, another little tip, I personally cannot go an entire day without sitting down, eating, having fluids, and be, being close enough to the bride and groom that I can be sure that I've got my cameras right there, charged up, ready to grab and get a shot at a moment's notice. So one of the things I do is my packages are basically an hour less than I think uh, would be perfect for a certain wedding. But if they feed me with the guests and then I can, I can get my meal when the bride and groom are eating so that I'm not trying to eat when they're doing stuff then they will get an extra hour of my time. And that has solved, most people like, of course, of course we're going to feed you. But every now and then there's, you know, there's somebody that uh, is just not comfortable with that option. And I tell them, okay, you can either, I'm going to take a dinner break and I'm going to leave. And whatever happens for 45 minutes there will not be photographs of that and you will you know sign uh, a statement that that is something that you're happy with or you can find a place for my assistant and I to sit that's close to the head table 
where um, we can be seated, have a meal, um, and and be right there for all the action. Okay. Other little tip is I always have them tell people, like if it's noon that I really need everybody there, to tell them we need you there a half hour, 45 minutes before we need them. So all of this is designed to avoid that last minute chaotic rush before the ceremony. Because it's really nice to take a little break, uh, have some pictures, have some quality time with the two of you, with your family. Otherwise, you never really get the same kind of time on the whole day. And the day goes by as a blur. So I always say there's about 50 mistakes that you can make before you're fully competent as a wedding photographer, meaning not not being a good photographer, but all the things that can go wrong. So one thing that can go wrong is not absolutely confirming in writing the day before where the wedding is and where the reception is and where you're doing any other photography. (laughs) I had a close call, oh my gosh, where we met in Balboa Park before the wedding and the church was supposed to be at this um, location that was just around the corner near downtown San Diego, which is why we picked the park. And as I'm leaving, we've wrapped up doing all these formals and fun things. I said, now, what street is the church on again to somebody? And they said, um, La Jolla Boulevard or something like that. And I was like, what? I thought it was like Date or Fifth or Hawthorne. And they're like, no, it's the, let's say, La Jolla Presbyterian, whereas I thought it was the downtown Methodist and they had changed the venue and they hadn't told me, but thank goodness the photo gods or the people that protect us from disasters pitched in because that was before cell phones. So another thing, of course, is always have everything charged and have extra, extra, extras of everything. Things don't run out quite as fast as they used to. And of course, unless you're shooting film, we used to have a a fast turnaround and you had to be really prepared not to be on three shots left just as the bride and groom are coming down the aisle. But I recently on Facebook saw a post where somebody said, "I, I did a session with only one memory card and it was a really important session. And I knew I probably should have had backups and mine stopped working. So always have backups and backups. You might have heard my story of a wedding that I did where I used to I used to travel with three cameras and three lenses and three flashes. And because I was working with two, um, you know, I would switch off and do some different things with the two and then the had the backup of those. And before we, like in the middle of the portrait sessions that we were doing three hours before in Presidio Park in San Diego, one camera didn't work. And then a flash didn't work. And then a lens didn't work. And then another thing. 
And I was down to one lens, one camera, one flash with really no bandwidth to figure out what the problems were. Some of them were just sync cord issues. Um, you know, when you're in that, like, ah, <laughs> it's, you don't have time to stop and sort it out. So always have plenty, plenty, plenty of backups. And nowadays, what I would do is I would also always look around and see who's got really nice camera gear, just in case uh, I need to say, hey, I've got a problem here. Can I use your camera and I'll, you know, I'll make it worth your while. So, okay. What I meant to say at the beginning is I was pondering this little short and sweet episode is all of this goes back to building a relationship with your clients where you are the trusted advisor. So before I start giving them schedules and all these different things and and even trying to convince them to meet before, I've been working from the first phone call or if I met them at a bridal show or however they found me, whatever our first contact is, all the way through, I have been acting as an advisor. I've been showing that I care about them and care about their day. I've been giving referrals, which someone who will give referrals is advising. And so then when it comes down to here's what I recommend in terms of the timeline, they trust me. And that is everything. Um, Another thing, a little hot tip, get your full money up front before the wedding day. Nothing is more awkward than trying to get a check from somebody on the wedding day or after the day and there you sit with these files and you've not been paid in full and then they're slow in paying because no one has more money right after a wedding uh they've gone on a honeymoon they've basically you know squeezed every dime they can out of wherever money is coming from that they're comfortable and so and it, especially it's easier to get it from parents if you're like last minute mom you know we we over overdid it on this and now we don't have the money for that can we pay you back um it I had some very awkward situations um you know and what are you going to do if you show up and they don't have that check they promised you uh or, or the Venmo or however um, you're doing it. Are you not going to shoot the wedding? Of course you're going to shoot the wedding. But then what happens sometimes is they don't get to see their images, of course, until after they've paid and then you edit. And then they'll say, oh, it was two months before we got got our proofs or you know, got to, got to see those images. They're not remembering it's their fault and they're, it looks bad for you. So that's something I'm always firm on two weeks before. And when people are like, well, you know, I don't want to pay for something before I've seen it. I tell them, well, first of all, it is an industry standard. And I'll say, because the truth is nobody has more money after, and it can be very awkward. Um, 
but also you know where I am. So if I didn't show up or I didn't get do a good job, you can certainly have a recourse uh, with the courts. You know, you can hunt me down, but you could move away and I would have no idea how to find you. So, you know, this is my policy. Um, and for my colleagues and I, this is something that has really served everybody well. And the thing is, if they give me a really hard time about it, they're probably people I don't want to work with anyway. Because again, if they don't trust me at that point, it's not going to be, the whole process is not going to go well. So I think that's it for now, my darlings. And um, let me know topics you would like to hear. And let me know if there's somebody specific that you think would be great. Um, and um, you just have a really swell week. Okay. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.